Thank you, Brother Dennis. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the 24th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 24. We're in the middle of a series of five messages on life on mission. Seeking to understand what it means for us to live an intentional Christian life. I've been working with some couples that are struggling with their marriages, and um, that's nothing new. We, 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 that, we, we all struggle at times. And one of the things that I hear more often than probably almost anything else I hear is, Pastor, tell people don't ever take your marriage for granted. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever assume that you can coast. If you're going to have a successful marriage, you have to understand that it's got to be an intentional thing. It's something that you have to think about and work on and continue to, to strengthen every day. And it's the same way in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot live the Christian life on autopilot. We must be constantly thinking intentionally about what does it mean for me to be a Christian. And I believe with all of my heart that one of the reasons why God is allowing us in the church in America to go through what we're going through right now is to refocus our attention on him. For decades, we assumed that the church and state would always have each other's back, that the state would protect us. We were foolish to think that. We were foolish in the 1930s and 40s and 50s to believe that we would always be given priority treatment by the secular government. And so now as things begin to turn, God, I believe, is refocusing our attention on what does it mean to live an intentional Christian life. But in this series, we're specifically thinking about how do we live an intentional Christian life as we live and move around those who do not know him as Savior. And last week I said to you that if we're going to live an intentional Christian life, if we're going to live a life on mission, there are two things that we must keep in focus. And last week we sent most of our attention on the concept of God's design. What was it that God intended and what does he intend for this creation that he has made? What does he intend in the relationship that he wants to have with humanity, his people that he created? And we talked about that and how we've broken that and we've, we've moved away from him. And yet we can never forget the fact that no matter how far we may wander, we still carry the imprint of God, a reminder to us that God has a plan for us. But the other side of that coin, the other thing we have to remember is what we're going to talk about today. And I got news for you, it's not pretty, but it has a good ending, okay? It has a good ending. So stick with me through it, if you will. Today we want to talk about brokenness, the concept of brokenness. And the very first thing that I have to say to you, the very first truth that we have to understand is we live in a broken world. You do not have to look much or very far beyond your own front door to recognize the brokenness that is in our world. Our world, our creation, this creation that God made with a grand design is broken. And everything in this world is broken. The natural order of things, relationships, government structures, everything is broken. Why? Because as we said last week, if you go through thousands of years of self-centered, selfish, self-seeking choices, guess what tends to happen? Things get out of sync. Sam had a friend over last night. They were watching uh, Bruce Almighty. 
the movie that I wish to goodness I could find a church-friendly version, but there's just, there's just not one available, so I can't show it at church. I would not necessarily recommend it unless you understand there's a few scenes you'll want to fast-forward past unless you have a pretty, <laughs> pretty strong constitution. But one of the things that you learn from that movie is Bruce thinks that he could be God for a while. He's just being God isn't so hard. And all of a sudden, he has this, this, this computer program that will give him all the prayers, and he has millions of prayers, so he decides, I'll just answer all of them with yes. So everybody gets whatever they asked for. And what did it lead to? Chaos. Mass chaos. But you see, the reality is that's exactly what's happened in our world because for thousands of years, we have sought our own design, our own needs, our own things that we want. And so in that process, it has caused us to get so far out of sync. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew 24. And I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me as we read together this passage of Scripture. We're going to love for you to join me as we read aloud. It's on the screen behind me as we read together Matthew 24, beginning at verse 6 and reading down to verse 14. Here we go. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to, that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come and all of God's people said and if you're not one of God's people you can say amen to let's have a seat this is Jesus description of what the world will look like and what we've done unfortunately during parts of the especially during my lifetime many of your lifetimes is we tried to focus on little things like oh there were three earthquakes this year. That must be mean we're closer to the end. Or, oh my goodness, there were seven storms. That means this. Jesus is describing a broad pattern of brokenness. And he keeps saying, but the end won't be there yet. These are just the, the first pangs. But the reality is Jesus says you need to understand that the world around us is broken. Relationships are broken. The natural order of things is broken. Even within homes and, 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 and communities and cities and nations, they will be fighting because people are seeking their own good rather than the good of one another. They're seeking their own desires that are the desires of others. And so because of that, this world in which we live as Christians, this world in which God has intentionally, say that again, intentionally placed us is a world that is broken. Can I be honest with you? If I could choose, if I could snap my fingers and make this world what it's going to be in eternity, that new earth where there'll be no more sin, oh my goodness, I could not get my fingers snapped fast enough. I would love for us to live in a world where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. But for whatever reason, God has said, not yet. We live in a broken world. But it's not just the world that's broken. Our families are broken. And that's the second truth we need to understand. If we begin to pull the microscope in, we begin to pull the focus in tighter, and we look at our homes, we look at our families, and we recognize the fact that we too are broken. 
in Numbers chapter 14, there's a verse that bothers us sometimes, and I love, I appreciate the fact that the Holman translation and several other of the newer translations have gone back and made sure we understood exactly what the words mean in that ancient Hebrew language when this is what Moses said or God said through Moses to the people. He said, the Lord is slow to anger and rich in faithful love, forgiving wrongdoing and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children to the third and fourth generation. Now what does that mean? It means because we are so broken and our families are broken that sometimes we live with the consequences of generations of brokenness. And even within our own lives and with our own families, we see that brokenness. We see someone who developed a pattern. And so our great-grandfather had a pattern of living a certain way and that was passed on to his son or daughter. They picked up that pattern of living and then they carried it on to our grandparents who picked up that same pattern and then passed it on to our parents. Now, that is not to say that the cycle cannot be broken, but in our humanness, in our fallenness, we see these patterns and we see actions that took place sometimes generations ago. I believe with all my heart. That is one of the reasons, please understand, not the only reason. That is one of the reasons why you see families that seem to have endemic problems, things like alcohol abuse, or they seem to always be struggling in, in poverty kinds of situations that, 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 that seem to be sometimes self-inflicted. It's because patterns are learned and consequences come in. Please understand, I said that's one reason. It's not the only reason by any means. But sometimes we see that and we recognize that our families have become broken by our own sin. Those of you that are in the Bible study group that's going to be starting here in just a few minutes, uh, if you work through the, the, the material getting ready for today, one of the questions that asked is, what are some patterns that you see in your life that you hope and pray won't be picked up by, by your children? And boy, that is a sobering thought. What are the things that I do? What are the sins that I commit that I pray with tears that my children do not inherit from me, that they do not inherit the consequences of my sin? But in order to do that, we have to work through that brokenness because you see we're all sinners in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 the Bible says that just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin in this way death has spread to all men because all have sinned we're all sinners and so because of that we are flawed by nature and so that flawed nature then is multiplied out through our children and our grandchildren as they reap the consequences of our actions but now we pull the focus in even tighter not only is our world broken not only are our families broken we are broken you are broken I am broken and we have to recognize that fact in the book of Jeremiah but before I get to that let me just let me just talk about sorry almost skipped a slide there when we start talking about individual brokenness, it's really interesting. We can talk about the world and people just shake their heads. You know, you can sit at McDonald's or Burger King and those guys are sitting around having their coffee and they're shaking their head about how the world is going. And you can talk about families in the community that are struggling and boy, that's just tragic. But boy, you start, you start talking about our personal brokenness, our personal sinfulness. And I tend to find one of three things happening. Usually the first two, every now and then I see the third one. One of them is we tend to rationalize it. We say, well, I mean, you know, that's just the way we are. I mean, we're just humans, and, you know, you gotta, I'm only human. You've got to accept me for who I am. I am just who I am. 
or they try to minimize it, which is, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not nearly as bad as some of those guys over there. Like, you know, I didn't murder my, 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 my wife and kids in bed like that guy in Columbia did, or I didn't do this thing or that thing, and so I'm not nearly as bad as other people. Rationalizing, minimizing. But really the only answer to our sin problem, the only answer to our brokenness is to admit the fact that we are broken. Now let me read to you Jeremiah 31. Because Jeremiah, God speaks through him to remind us that even though there are times when we inherit the consequences of sin from those that came before us, in the end, each one of us is responsible for our own brokenness. I cannot blame my father for my tendency toward procrastination or my anger, my my losing of my temper. I cannot blame anyone but myself, the man that I look in the mirror at every morning when I shave. And I have to admit that. Jeremiah, God said through him, in those days it will never again be said the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the father sins but but the son inherits the punishment. Rather, each will die for his own wrongdoing. Anyone who eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. You see, brokenness cannot be fixed in our lives until we're willing to admit that we are broken. Now, just let me bore a hole right into your heart and ask you, have you come to the point in your life where you admit that you are broken? You are irreparably broken. In the 51st Psalm, David, this is after Nathan comes to him and confronts him. He says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. You teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Create a clean heart for me, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David came to the point of recognizing that he was broken and once we recognize that the process can begin let me say something in one sentence that a few years ago took us weeks to work through god designed a world that sin began to slowly unravel and then christ came and began the process of recreating what God intended. But until we come to understand that we are broken, we can never begin that process of being made new. And that comes from recognizing the fact that Jesus Christ died to bring about the cure for our brokenness, the cure for the broken relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, to bring us back to Him so that we can again be His children, we can be adopted into His family and called sons and daughters of God. And once we have been through that process, we then can be wounded healers. We then can begin to work out in the world around us. And this is where we get to the intentional Christian part. Once you realize how broken you are and that by God's grace, he has saved you, remade you, and is continuing to remake you into the image of his son, then we can be in. So the question is, how do we begin the healing process as wounded healers? 
sons and daughters of God. The first thing we have to do is we have to recognize two facts. Number one, people will hurt you. And people themselves are hurting. Now let's break that apart just a little bit. People will hurt you and people themselves are hurting. We have to admit that so that we can do the next step, which is we have to understand the fact that when someone hurts you, it is a symptom that they are broken. Now that is very, very important. If you're going to live an intentional Christian life, if you don't grab anything else this morning but this, you need to understand that when that person at work, when that person on your street, when that person at your, uh, in your community, that person in your family, when they hurt you, it's not because they're mean people. Guess what? We're all mean people. Every one of us is broken by sin. There's none righteous. No, not one. And so when that person hurts me, it's a symptom, it's a sign that they are broken. And once you can get that idea into your head, all of a sudden the way you respond to them can totally change. Our response to people who are hurting us because they are broken is to do exactly what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. And that is to do what? Say it. Turn. See, listen, you can't turn the other cheek if you think, I'm just going to let them get the best of me. I'll just be a floor mat. This has nothing to do with being a floor mat or being humble or being this, that, other. This is saying, I understand the reason you're hurting me is because you're broken. So I'm not going to retaliate back. Do I have the right to? Well, humanly speaking, I guess you do. Should I be able to? Well, I guess based on human standards, sure. But Christ says, no, you live by a different standard. You're an intentional Christian. And so when they strike out at you, Physically, verbally, emotionally, relationally, whatever it may be. Financially, the first thing you do is say, I'm not going to retaliate because I understand the reason they're doing this is because they're broken. And then the second thing that you do is you offer them a remedy to heal not their offense, but their brokenness. To help them see as God will allow you and as he opens their eyes to be able to understand that the reason they're acting the way they do is not because they're bad people, it's because they're broken people. And help them find answers. You say, well, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. You know what? Neither do I. It just depends on the circumstance. That's where we rely on the Holy Spirit. But as that person hurts you and you recognize it's a symptom of their brokenness, then you can turn the other cheek. You don't retaliate because then there's two sins to deal with. Instead, you begin to talk with them as God gives you the opportunity about what it really is beneath the surface that leads them to exhibit those symptoms of their brokenness. Now, I said there were two facts. One of them is that people will hurt you. The other one is that people are hurting. There are people who are hurting. And when they are hurting, our best way as Christians, our best way as God's children to respond is to weep with those who weep. And if you're writing down notes, this is a typo, and it's my fault. I typed it wrong. It's not Romans 12.5. It's Romans 12.15. So if you want that, that number to write down for your research later, you good Bereans out there, it's Romans 12.15. And we have to recognize that our response to people who are hurting is to sympathize with them and just be willing to be present with them. It is amazing how many times a person who does not know Jesus Christ, doesn't have a relationship with Christ, thinks they've got their act all together, thinks they're perfectly fine, thinks they have no problems, and suddenly they face a crisis, an illness, a, a, a life-ending illness, or a crisis in their family, or a crisis in their work, and you're willing to come alongside and just walk with them. Sometimes literally, when we were living in Troy, we had a neighbor who was a little bit less than friendly sometimes, and I would go out and walk in the morning, and just so happened one day, I happened to walk right by this person, and 
I could tell they were distraught, and I didn't say a word. And just we said, you want to walk together for a while? He said, sure. And we walked, and he began to talk and share out of his hurt, out of his pain, out of his brokenness. And that leads me to the third thing, and that is that we must commit ourselves to the inconvenience of being a minister to those who are hurting. If we're going to live an intentional Christian life, we've only got so long here, and then we get to spend eternity with Christ where we will never have to suffer any of the things that we suffer now. So while we're here in the few short years we have, 70, 80, 90 maybe, my stepfather's 90th birthday is today. And he is a wonderful man, and I thank the Lord for him. And, but yet it's such a short time compared to eternity. We must understand that we're going to have to make some sacrifices in this life if we're going to live an intentional Christian life. We're going to make the sacrifice of intentionally spending time, investing time so that we can minister to those who are hurting. James makes it so clear for us. He says, listen, you want to know what good religion is? It's not right doctrine. You want to know what good religion is? It's not sitting in a sanctuary every Sunday morning right on time. You know what good religion is? It's not making sure you put your 10% in the offering plate. Good religion, he says, is this. This is what's acceptable to God. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Take care of those who are hurting. Because that models as much as anything we do the fact that we are truly committed to to Christ and to Christ likeness. And my question to you is are you ready to move? Are you ready to move from brokenness to healing? Are you ready to move from being consumed by sin and self to being surrendered to Christ and his will? Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to bow our heads for just a minute. You don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to. You can just fold your hands in your lap and look at your fingers. Because I want to talk to you personally just for a second, okay? I'm afraid if you close your eyes, you'll go to sleep, so don't close your eyes. Let me talk to you for just a minute, okay? Every one of us is broken. Every one of us. I am broken. I am marred by my sin and so are you but for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ we understand that even though we fail him at times and it breaks our hearts when we do he is remaking us but there are some of you in this room today that have never done that I know for a fact because you have told me yourselves that you have never personally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Please understand me. A toy cannot fix itself. A doll cannot fix itself. A car cannot fix itself. A life cannot fix itself. You must go back to the one who made you. And you can try all you want to fix yourself, and it will not work. You are irreparably broken. And so you must go to the healer. And if you have never done that, you say, well, you're trying to manipulate me. You bet I'm trying to manipulate you. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He says, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And I would beg you 
Because God is not a beggar. God is a commander. He has commanded all men and women everywhere to repent. So I am begging you to obey. I'm begging you to respond and surrender because you will never find peace. You will never find hope. You'll never begin to unravel all of the brokenness in your life until you do. Please, come to Jesus today. If you're one of those people that need to come to Jesus, you've never done it before, I'm going to ask you very quietly just to lift your head and look at me just for a minute. There's nobody else looking around. Even the, even the tech's eyes are closed. Usher's eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. All of our heads are bowed. I see one. Is there another one? Just look up and look at me. Listen, there's nothing magical. It's just a matter of surrendering. It's both the easiest and the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's easy because all you have to do is just say, Lord, I can't fix myself. I need you to fix me. It's hard because everything in our world has taught us that we should be able to take care of ourselves and fix ourselves, and we just can't. And I would ask you today to begin that process of saying, Lord, I want to turn my life over to you today. Now, there are some others of you in the room who say, well, yes, I know I'm broken, and yes, I know I have wandered away from God. I've allowed my brokenness to obsess my life. I've built up a pile of broken things, broken actions, broken deeds, broken thoughts. But I do believe with all my heart that there was a time in my life when I truly did surrender my life to Christ. I just haven't let him keep control of it. But I want to come back to him. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit differently. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you would like to turn back to where you know you need to be so you can have peace again. There is, as hard as it is to be a lost person outside of God's love, so I think it's actually even harder to be his child and to be out of sync with him because you know where you need to be. So if you are away and need to come home, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up in the air for just a minute so I can pray for you. Are you here this morning and your life is not where there's one, there's two, there's three? Thank you. Are there any more? Just slip your hand up. Say, you know what? I'm just not where I need to be. I see you. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. All right, last thing. There's some of you here who need the help of a church family so that you can walk where you need to. Some of you have been walking with us for a long time. And I want to ask you today to seriously consider the fact that God has led you here on purpose. I don't know why you've not been willing to surrender yourself to become part of our family. I don't understand in every case why you feel like that, that you're not yet ready to commit. But I want you to understand it's not just about us as a church family. It's about what God is saying in your life. You say, well, Lord, I know I need to, just not yet. Just not yet. Why are you waiting? You need a church home. God wouldn't have brought you us if we didn't need you. It's time just to seal that. Let's get into covenant with each other. Let's get into a relationship with each other. Let's deepen our walk together so that we can help each other in our brokenness. And here's what we're going to do. I want to pray in just a second. I'm almost done. And there's three things we need to do. There's some of you 
who today have decided today is going to be my day to surrender my life to Christ. If that's you, I want you to come and just let me pray with you. And that doesn't mean we're just going to be a sealed deal right here as we stand. It may be. You may know exactly what you need to do, and you just want to pray and do it. For some of you, it may be, no, I just need to begin that process. That's okay. I'm going to be right over here on the organ side, on the piano side, excuse me, on the piano side for you. Those of you who have wandered away and need to come back, this altar is going to be open for you so you can come and pray. And for those of you who are ready to say, no, I want this church to be my home, my family, over here on the organ side, I want you to sit. We've got some little cards you can fill out to say, I want to be a part of this family, be a part of this church. So when we sing, there'll be three different groups that will be coming. Deacons, I want you to be ready because I'm going to need you in just a minute. Other leaders, not just deacons, but other leaders, Sunday school teachers, other leaders, I'll need you to come as well because there'll be people that want you to pray with them. So you need to be ready for that when that happens, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are all broken, every one of us. Some of us in our brokenness do our very, very best to come back to you in, 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 in prayerful repentance so that you can cleanse us and get us back. But some of us have wandered away and we need to come home. We need to come back to you. And we're going to come to this altar just to signify that we need that, to put down a stake and say we need to do this in our lives. There are some of us who know in our hearts the only way we're ever going to really be moving forward with you is by having a place that we can call our home, our family. And we're going to come and we're going to acknowledge that. We're going to say, I want this to be my family. I want this to be my home. And Father, there are at least three or four of us in this room who looked me square in the eye and by looking at me said, I know I've never truly surrendered my life to Christ. I'm broken. I cannot fix myself. And I pray that you will move them from that position to a position of saying, I'm now ready for Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. So with that in mind, we give you these next few moments. Of course, in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen.